Hello and welcome to the Rubber Duck Dev Show. I'm Chris. I'm Kristen. And tonight we are going to finish up our list of the top <laughs> 10 uh, OWASP web app security vulnerabilities. Uh, we did one through five last week and we're going to talk about six through 10 tonight. Uh, but before we get into that, what was your week like? I've been doing a bunch of different stuff, did a little bit of DB consulting. Um, and I'm also doing some Rails consulting with a new application. So, and I'll say new in double quotes because it's actually an internal application that was built in ASP.NET ages ago. And they want to bring it up to relatively current. So I'm actually doing it as a Rails 7 app. It's relatively simple, but basically making it a little bit more, you know, more modern for, because it's running on an old, I think ESX VMware server or whatnot, you know, so it's not being maintained at all. So they want to get it on something that'll be maintained. So, so going to, going to be doing that. Now, what was interesting is I chose this path and I'm actually using, I'm still using bootstrap, but Bootstrap 5, I believe, doesn't use jQuery. Hmm. So this is like the first Rails app I've used in a while that is not using jQuery. Hmm. So I'll be... The, the app's not going to have that much JavaScript, if at all, but I'll be using the new Rails method of doing JavaScript. So I'm going to see how that goes. Oh, boy. Well, that'll yeah. be good fun. I haven't had a, I haven't been doing a lot of front end stuff lately with Rails. I've been mostly platform side, so I haven't even messed with the new, newer um, front end things. I've kind of yeah. Well, I went through DHH's uh, presentation on Rails seven, and I actually just replicated what he did. But apart from that, I haven't really built much into it yet. Again, I'm targeting sometime after summer potentially looking doing that upgrade for my app ah. so uh, other thing i also i worked on is um using skylight as my application performance manager i guess mm -hmm. you'd say to track performance and i'm still using and this is probably ancient capistrano for my deployments because I know there's so many other ways to do it today, but I'm still using Capistrano. Hey, if it works. And there's no built-in way using Capistrano to make a deploy notification to Skylight. I didn't even see any kind of an API you could call either. Oh, wow. I mean, it, they say it's just supposed to work automatically, and it does work if you like FTP the files up with the Git directory in it. It apparently does some calls to be able to notify Skylight of, hey, this deployment happened. But the way Capistrano does deployments by default, it doesn't include the Git directory or it does a little bit different than just copying the whole directory. So basically there's a manual way to do the notification. But then the problem with that is like none of the initializers in Rails run. It's like Skylight runs almost before the initializers. Oh. So I had to put it in the um, application.rb file 
.rb file in the config block. So it was a little, it's a little, uh, I don't, I don't want to say janky, but not as clean as I would want. And maybe there's a better way to do it, but. So what you're saying is Skylight doesn't cater to us old timers with our old decrepit ways of doing things. Well, it's not like it's a super new app, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, we're anyway, have to... but so I, I was dealing with that saying, what's the best, you know, I wanted to try to do it in the cleanest way possible, but I'm kind of like, eh. Yeah, well, automation is nice, but uh, sometimes you just got to work around the things. So what about you? Uh, boy, I am, man, I am just, I'm exhausted. I have had one of those weeks so far, which is running around, putting out fires everywhere. And, and you're only done with three days. Of I <laughs> know. I've already had a whole week and it's only Wednesday night. Um, but man, I'm just, I'm. I was telling Creston before the show, look, if I fall asleep and start snoring in the middle of the show, just go on and pretend I'm not there. Okay. Cause I'm, I'm just, I'm done. Oh man. But it's, it's. We had a big issue last night, so 6.30 this morning, there was the fire drill going on and, you know, all, just all hell breaking loose. And so everybody was on about that, plus the other 853 A1 top flight priorities that are going on in the middle of that. So it's just, it's just one of those weeks that, you know, they happen, but man, it just wears you out. It's like all the plates were spinning fine, and then suddenly... <laughs> not <laughs> somebody kicked one of the canes out from under them and oh but yeah i mean you know we, we get it all solved but there's just some weeks where it's just like you know fires popping up everywhere and you can't put one out before three more pop up yeah and it just it just it it just wears you out man but it's all good it's all good <clears throat> so nothing nothing really fun to talk about just having trouble even thinking about all the specific things i've done for the past three days because my brain yeah, is so yeah, addled yeah, yeah. so anyway all right let's talk about security stuff so Yahoo. these uh these last five from owasp here we are back on the owasp website uh, last week, we talked about broken access control, cryptographic failures, injection, insecure design, and security misconfiguration. And those were all fairly common things. I've run into most of them before, had to deal with aspects of most of them in my career. It's They're not uncommon things. The, the last five, and especially number 10, are a little more amorphous i guess well i really think just the last one is amorphous. Yeah, the last the one other is... ones are pretty specific are pretty specific because you know like even the second one moved down to the sixth position so that's something we've been dealing with for a while you know. yeah <clears throat> yeah you're right i mean the the first those first the first four here are not quite as bad um they're not as common though as the first five obviously which is why they're not in the top five positions yeah but so it's not things that you run into nearly as much if ever but there are things that you really should be aware of because 
they have a lot of impact on on how you design and what you need to be thinking about. Also, the things that are at the bottom of the list now are the things that aren't being protected as much, so that's the things that the hackers are going after, the attackers, the bad actors. That's where they're going to want to live because nobody's paying attention to that stuff. So the bottom of this list is, is actually pretty important. So let's get going. So number six, vulnerable and outdated components. This is... Uh, <laughs> you haven't you... patched your crap. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. I mean, this is this is kind of something you were just talking talking about uh, in the week in review. You're getting ready to update a really old thing to new thing, um, and that really old thing is if you know ASP.NET on a old ESX server is probably hyper vulnerable to all kinds of hacks uh, because. I'm going to close my ears. I don't. I know nothing. <laughs> all I know, I build new thing. <laughs> yeah. But that's, you know, even if we're talking about, like, we're going through a Rails upgrade right now, and we, we have to do it because security is important for our company, and we can't stay on older Rails versions because they stop being security updated. So we have to keep yep. moving Rails up. And that's the same thing for your plugins, your your gems, your version of your IDE sometimes. Your operating system, your database version, your yeah. web server version, your everything. <laughs> right. Because all of those things, if they're outdated, they they leave avenues for attack into your stuff. So, I mean, even though your OS doesn't directly have much to do with your programming most of the time, if a hacker gets into your OS, then he can get to your program and then he can do all kinds of nasty things. So, but, you know, but the thing about it is, is that a lot of the SSL libraries, it depends on how you have set up your SSL, because you want to make sure that needs to be up to date. Otherwise, your web server SSL won't be working appropriately, or that could potentially be hacked if there's a vulnerability and if you're not keeping that up to date at the OS level. Right. Or or the SSH server, or someone could get in that way, or, you know. Right. And the good news about this is that a lot of those areas have automated ways to keep this updated, or at the very least, notify you that you're out of date. Um, yeah. You know, like the OSs have all, you know, Windows has its update, Linux has its updates, automatic updates. Um, you can run... For Rails, you've got the, what's it called? The GitHub, um, my mind went blank, that checks your um Yeah, I can't gyms. remember the specific name, yeah. but it, it gives you notifications if there's security vulnerabilities for gems right. that are, you're using. Yeah, you, you, you know what it is, guys. Just, you know what we're talking about. <laughs> anyway, my I told you my brain was addled. Can't think of the, what it's called. Anyhow, but we, you know, we run that every time we, do a CICD? Depend, is it Dependabot? Dependabot, or, yeah. 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 So, the you know, the dependency checker. And other, other languages have that same kind of thing. And I think GitHub does run Dependabot for other languages. We just happen to have it. Right. Notify us about Rails stuff. Right. So, you know, it's nice to have those things running. That's part of our CICD. Every time we do a, a 
PR or every time we do a build or release, it runs that to make sure that we're not out of date on something and missing a security vulnerability. So, uh, you know, just as long as you pay attention to, hey, we've got this part automated and we're looking at this, you shouldn't run into this issue. You shouldn't and be that also, out of date. Yeah, and then it also helps to, or you should also validate that, you know, nothing's been missed. And there are services that do that. Like, for example, I use intruder.io, which basically is a surface attack. Try to get into the, you know, system through a, various different avenues. So it's kind of a pen test thing. Kind of, kind of. It, it basically says, you know, is there any vulnerable software? Can we get in through a couple of different ways? Right. So, you know, just, just pay attention to that. But most of that can be automated, which is a good thing because there's just so many bits. A human can't keep track of all of it by themselves. So number seven, identification and authentication failures. So this is one of the other things that they had up here was broken access control, which I think is, that's what I was thinking of when I first read this. But this is this is a little more insidious, I think, than that. This this doesn't really deal with your authorization and authentication things in your web app like the other one did. This I think they're talking about it has more to do with um, being able to directly access URLs that shouldn't be available or allowing brute force attacks or permitting weak passwords to be stored. Um, you don't have multi-factor authentication. Um, so they're talking about kind of the, the architectural issues that allow authentication passes. My, my interpretation, broken access control, I think, has to do with authorization, um, meaning what do you have access to? Whereas number seven is authentication, who you are, verifying that you are the right person. And that's probably a good, better way to be, be, think about it. Yeah, because, you know, if something is open or it's, you know, those are authorization issues, mm -hmm. whereas the i think the identification authentication fairs failures is an authentication issue meaning that you're trusting the wrong person right because they're talking about brute force attacks people trying to get in or trying passwords tons of times dictionary attacks you know reusing session identifiers yeah you know capturing that stuff and just that that like the way I was thinking about it is I've got a front end portal that locks all that stuff down, but they figure out a way to bypass it some way that I wasn't thinking about on a back end, like direct to the URL instead of clicking a link that's, which that shouldn't happen. You should lock it down at the URL level, but I have seen where people lock are locking down the links. Hey, you just don't have access to this link, but you could put the, the URL in directly. <laughs> Yeah. So 
that's just that's broken. Um, I think that would be the number one. I think that would be the broken access control, since it doesn't deal with authentication. Yeah, well, see, and that's why I was th these two really kind of got my brain crossed because they're they're similar. Yeah, because it literally says the top of this one, previously known as broken authentication. Yeah, so it's not authentication. It is kind of odd how they are separated by so many. Like one's at number one, one's at number seven. I mean, I guess that's... Right, because to me, this is kind of... Kind of the... We I mean, as developers think about it at the same time. Usually. Right, yeah. I mean, this is all one, one blob when I'm working on it. Authentication, auth authorization. There's no... I mean, there's a technical maybe, separation, but there's yeah, no... Yeah, I mean, making the, making the distinctions a little bit of, you know, semantic stuff. But yeah, yeah, right. we, we get what they mean, but it's a little odd that it's a little bit lower. Yeah. All right, so number eight, software and data integrity failures. So this is, I mean, your software fails or your data integrity fails. So it's kind of a little bit self-explanatory, I think. Um, well, what, what I'm interpreting this as is that where you do you have a trusted source you're getting your software from? Yeah. Meaning that if you're just pulling in a JS link, are you using some form of validation um, or is it signed in such a way that, okay, you trust and verify that that source is coming from the right place? Like it's not potentially vulnerable to a man in the middle attack. Or if you're loading in libraries from a third party source, like for example, Ruby libraries, gems are located at rubygems.org. Well, has that been hacked and corrupted libraries that then you're gonna pull down or someone hacks the node, you know, library npm library right. and you know i think that is the vulnerability they're talking about here right and so one of the things that like um bundler did was to implement the the hash <laughs> checking for gems to make sure to fight this specific thing to make sure that you've got integrity of what you're pulling down and that it's not been corrupted or hacked in any way so that's, I mean, that's part of dealing with this. Yep. And it's kind of it's a whole... basically your dependencies, making sure that you trust them, that they're coming from a good, that they're valid and coming from a good source. Right. And I think also they're, they're talking a little bit about your entire pipeline too, like your, your CICD, if it has to pull in artifacts and stuff that it's getting them from trusted places. Um, yeah. If, you're, if your app is making... Uh, pulling data down from CDNs or something that, that you've got integrity checks there to make sure you don't get swapped to some bogus thing or pull down some act file. Um, so, you know, it's not just the stuff you pull down to program with. It's all the stuff that you're reaching to outside of your little kingdom. Um, you got to make sure that it's all good. So there's a lot of, um, you know, this has to do with all the signing and stuff. Like like Microsoft, the MSIs, 
they started 20 years ago. You just threw one out there and, and let it install. But now most companies require that you have a signed compile package or install package that it's, it's signed, that it's got, um, certificates associated with it and all kinds of stuff. Cause otherwise, otherwise windows keeps going, dang, 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 dang. <laughs> right. So, and, and you know, that's a good thing because it, it keeps people from accidentally installing something. That's just a complete hack of their system. Yep. That's no good. So number nine, security logging and monitoring failures. Um, previously insufficient logging and monitoring. This one to me was, was just, we're not logging things that need to be logged. We're not monitoring things that need to be monitored. So like, you know, we're not logging important events. We're not logging, um, access to certain things so that if somebody hacks it, we can track back and say, okay, they accessed it here. Somebody accessed it here. Um, and we're not doing monitoring of what IP addresses are hitting this. Are we getting, you know, bad IPs coming in? Are we getting, um, people coming in through incorrect ports, that kind of stuff. And another important point about this is that also ensuring that logs are not only stored locally, but you're using some sort of log aggregator. Yeah. And so that way, if your if machine XYZ gets compromised, you can go to the log aggregator to get a history of what was going on before it got compromised. Right. As opposed to the compromised server is the one that has the logs of what happened. Right. And not to mention the fact that those log aggregators make searching through your yeah. logs a hell of a lot easier anyway. So why wouldn't you do that? <laughs> I don't want them locally. It's a pain in the butt. Well, I guess I've gotten too good at grip because I don't grip because <laughs> I don't mind gripping <laughs> gripping through logs because a lot of times I can find out stuff faster than some of these log aggregators user interfaces. But see, yeah, that involves typing rather than clicking, and I'm too lazy for that. So you know, because <laughs> so many of these interfaces are like, all right, I do the query, and it's like. A little thing spins, doing its process. You know, whereas grip, it's just pretty fast. Yeah, there are some that are that are really dogs. We we got off of one not too long ago that was just horrifically slow. It was so bad. I'm not going to say names, but it was just bad. Um, and the you know the same logs in another app were a hundred times as fast. And and I'm not being hyperbolic here. They were literally more than a hundred times as fast. Yeah. So anyway, side rant, but, uh, <laughs> but relevant to the discussion, <laughs> right? Uh, all right. So number 10, so this one, I had a real hard time kind of wrapping my head around cause it was pretty, I don't know. It just, it, it didn't seem very defined to me, this server side request forgery. So it, it, so I, I read it in reverse. You're forging a request from the server side as opposed to the client side. So basically, but 
in order to do this, it's like your server is already doing something kind of wonky anyway to me. I wouldn't program it a lot that way, but it's basically you're getting the server to make a forged re request. Mm -hmm. So that seems kind of odd that, that you can do that. And they're talking about using like local host because it can talk to local host and particular ports and using techniques that way, but you have to have programmed some interface that enables it to do that. Right. It seems to me like this would be one of the hardest avenues of attack, but if you were able to pull it off, you've got massive amounts of access because like if you can act as local host, that usually bypasses a, tr a lot of security lockdowns. So if I can get in there and say, hey, I'm I'm the local machine here. Let me get to everything. Thanks. Um, and let me let me make calls. Let me change the URL of this to point it to my evil server instead of where it's supposed to go and take your customers there kind of stuff. Or let me modify this URL, this API call so that it gives me back your admin access instead of giving me back the order information. So it's kind of kind of sneaking around the backside and saying and tricking the server into making calls that it shouldn't make because it has almost unlimited access. Yeah, and some of the stuff like what they're listing down here ways to prevent it. I mean I think if you're doing the, the ways to prevent it, if you're doing that stuff, you probably should program it differently. Like above the example attack scenarios, like, like they're talking about the application layer, you know, sanitize and validate all client supplied input data. I mean, yeah, you need to be doing that anyway. So. Which that to me looks that, like is like injection. I don't understand how that's different than injection, which we talked about last week. Yeah, it basically not doing that enables this avenue of attack. Right. And not having restrictions on what URLs, ports, and what, you know, the second one allows this attack. You know, sending raw responses to clients is something that allows this, you know. So if, if you're doing some of this stuff, I would encourage Stop you not it. to do this stuff. <laughs> yeah, because it kind of enables this to happen. But again, this was new this year. So maybe next couple of years, there'll be more clarity on attack examples and whatnot. Yeah, I suspect, I suspect there probably will be, but, but this one, yeah, it was, it didn't seem as nearly as well-defined as the other ones. Uh, it seemed like, Hey, let's start investigating and talking about <laughs> Hey, we need number this. 10. What are we going to put on the yeah. list? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> Quick, throw some letters out and we'll assign some words to them. That's SRF. Good one. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I mean, this stuff, it, it's valuable to think about these things, how to prevent, but this is stuff that um, I think a lot of this is stuff that you would be thinking about dealing with the other nine issues that yeah. we talked about yeah i don't think he would but, make you know, it down this to here yeah but this list is a 
risk. So it's it's the number 10 on the risk list. So yeah, and in dealing with the other risks, you've probably handled almost all of the issues that would cause this risk. Right. And maybe part of the problem is I'm thinking about it like a programmer instead of like an infra engineer or a risk management person. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm more focused on the hows than on the what's because I'm a programmer and my job is to solve the hows, I suppose. Anywho, so that completes the list of the OWASP top 10. Uh, those are all things that um, programmers should think about, that designers should think about, um, that infra engineers should think about. Um, if and you want to dig- your mitigation strategy. Yeah, for sure. And this stuff needs to be thought about from, you know, the, the entire life cycle of the product. Um, and it has to be paid attention to, or it, it can turn into really nasty stuff if you don't. Uh, if you want to learn more about, take deep dives into these topics, I highly recommend Port Swigger. Um, it is a free online academy basically on web security it'll it'll walk you through it has they're not a sponsor by the way i just really liked it i spent i've been spending a lot of time on it lately um but it has uh, labs that you can do you can go play with some of this stuff see how it actually works um and they take you really deep into these security issues so i i just i really like this site so I would highly recommend if you want more information on these security issues, go here. And we've got a link in the description below for you. So uh, don't think you have to, you know, memorize this before I take it off the screen. <laughs> because now it's off the screen. Ha <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, so if you enjoyed this, uh, don't forget to like and subscribe. Uh, mash all the buttons and ding all the bells. Join us every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. For more dev talk, make sure you bring your friends. We know that you have them because you're just sweet people. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about, well, Creston mostly is going to talk about some real-world performance enhancements he's been doing. Uh, so not contrived examples, but things that happen in the real world. Um, if you have a topic that you would like to see on the show, please leave it in the comments below. Our podcast is available at all the places that podcasts live. Uh, you can also visit us on our website, rubberduckdevshow.com, to sign up for a newsletter and see a list of all our podcasts there. And you can follow us on Twitter, at DuckyDevShow. Hope you guys enjoyed this. We will see you next week. And until then, happy programming. Happy programming. <laughs>